Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. I am so glad you joined us today. Science education is changing significantly. Today, there's a different vision for teaching science. We're going to be talking about trends in STEM and STEAM education and how schools are responding to next generation science standards and new state standards. We're going to be learning from an author and expert in that field, Carolyn DeCristofano. Carolyn, I'm so glad you're joining us today. Well, I'm really excited to be here, Susie. I really enjoy your podcast, so I'm looking forward to our discussion. Well, thank you. Let me tell everybody just three things about you. Carolyn's written a bunch of books, so I'm not going to be able to list all of them, but she's the author of National Geographic's Kids Ultimate Space Guide. She wrote A Black Hole is Not a Hole, and her new book that's coming out May 1st is called Running on Sunshine, How Does Solar Energy Work? She's a STEM expert who provides professional development, supports organizations in creating learning materials that respond to these new science standards. She's contributed to nationally traveling exhibits. She currently works with a small team of STEM middle grade authors who blog under this title, STEM Tuesday. We're going to find out all about that STEM Tuesday thing. I've never heard of that. She has worked from the Engineering is Elementary Museum of Science Museum in Boston to Massachusetts Department of Ed to public television. That's a lot. <laughs> so, Carolyn, first thing I'd like to know from you is if you could just share a little bit more about your background and where did you get this passion for STEM work? Well, thanks, Susie. Um, well, really, um, I always had a strong science education and I liked it, but, and sometimes I liked it a lot, sometimes not so much. But really, the passion began when I started to teach science. And that was at a science center that was a small local center, and we offered a lot of hands on experiential education. And as I was learning to grow into the role, I was learning things that I had never been exposed to in my traditional curriculum. So I was learning more about how scientists figure out what we know and less about the absolutely really cool things that we figure out. But um, I was living in Connecticut and I had grown up in Rhode Island and it was the first time that I really began to understand how anybody ever came up with the idea that they're used to be a glacier for, you know, a mile above our heads. And um, I learned alongside geologists who are examining tiny shells in salt marsh samples to look for clues to ancient sea levels. And that kind of experience just sort of opened up to me the wonder and the creativity that can come about with science and the idea that you can sort of probe into areas that you don't know and use a lot of creative thinking and evidence to answer some really cool questions. Your love for science is just inspiring. And now you are supporting schools uh, with new state science standards and next generation science standards. Now, when I was uh, reading about that, I came across this phrase many, many times called cross-cutting content. Mm -hmm. Help us out a little bit with that. What does cross-cutting content mean? What does it look like and how would you support those efforts? Mm -hmm. So basically in science, there are some ideas or concepts that keep showing up in multiple arenas and they're pretty much more or less across the board in 
science and STEM fields. So you might think about energy and how we look at global warming and climate change. And that's all about what happens to the energy that comes from the sun and how is it interacting with parts of our atmosphere and what does that mean for the ocean and the ocean life and for um, terrestrial animals. And so if you can follow the energy, then you can really get a really good understanding of just about any situation. So energy is a concept that cuts across disciplinary and topic boundaries. And another one is um, patterns. But before I give you an example of that, one of the really valuable aspects of cross-cutting concepts is that they really help us uh, create sort of these unified and interconnected understandings of everything around us. And so it's part of scientific thinking to frame questions or frame what we look at in terms of certain concepts. Kind of like rhythm and melody in music. You know, you, you don't, it doesn't matter what song it is. Um, you're going probably to be thinking about the rhythms and, and melodies that you hear within any piece of music. Well, you know, we always say the rhythm's going to get you, you know, isn't that the old song? So, all right. And so I'm really interested in that. And that makes sense to me now that you've explained it kind of like that. I really like that. I love that analogy. So in your work, when you're in schools, working with organizations, um, creating learning materials, what are you seeing as top priorities right now in schools? Yeah. So um, first of all, as it has always been, I've been doing this for, for about 20 or 30 years, um, one priority is always about the lessons and materials and resources that teachers can access easily and implement um, fairly readily, even though there may be some challenging aspects to it, but so, something that's accessible to both the teacher and the student and um, something that's going to support the teaching of those high priority content areas that we call the standards. So, um, of course, they want that, and some of my work involves helping teachers either learn about specific resources or having them sort of unpack their existing resources and see what that resource is offering well, and then we kind of think about what else needs to happen for this to be really a high-quality experience. And then something else that I'm really starting to hear, which is very exciting to me, and it's that... Um, adult teachers are starting to come forward and request a sort of a broader science education than simply their set of standards that they have to teach. And that may be because the standards have sort of flipped a lot of the traditional areas that teachers are used to teaching at certain grade levels. Um, it, there, there are differences now between what used to be and what is. And so now teachers kind of want to feel more empowered, I think, and, and they understand that having a broader knowledge is going to help them within their grade level and help them across grade levels in a school. Well, that's really interesting. And one of the things um, I, when I was reading, and you mentioned it and I'm, in your bio, I mentioned it, is something called STEM Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Is that, can, tell us a little bit about that. Is that something that can support STEM educators? What's that all about? Absolutely. It can support STEM educators and also ELA educators because it's actually a blog that appears on every Tuesday, as you might guess. Um, and it's part of a broader literature-based blog called um, 
from the mixed up files of middle grade authors. And when we talk about middle grade authors, we're talking grades four to eight roughly. And um, it's an effort on the part of about eight or nine STEM related nonfiction authors to raise awareness about the wonderful resources that are out there. And so we're not just plugging our books. I mean, occasionally one of our books will get on a list, but it's really more broadly about thinking about how to use and how to read and um, really begin to understand and connect with STEM nonfiction. So each month is dedicated to a theme. And then uh, each the, at the beginning of the month, we provide a book list related to that theme. And then the next time, the next week, we'll provide some activity ideas for really bringing either science or something else out of the STEM book experience and extending that literacy experience. And then we go on through the, the month with the, paying attention to reading and writing in the STEM book field. And we also have author interviews. So it's really a broad resource for uh, people who are really interested in seeing how they can help kids and themselves connect more fully to um, STEM themes and supplement that hands-on experiential base with all these wonderful avenues to learn about what scientists are, are doing and finding out in the broader world. Okay, that sounds wonderful. So what we'll do, guys, when you're as you're listening to this, we'll put a link to that on the notes for this podcast with Carolyn. So if you just go to our podcast page on My Expert, we'll put a link there for you so you can find that STEM Tuesday because that sounds amazing. Okay, let's talk a little bit about obstacles, hurdles. Uh, schools are transitioning to this new vision of teaching science with new standards. What are you seeing in terms of, of the biggest hurdles or obstacles or things we're needing to overcome right now? Mm-hmm. Well, I think... Um I'm seeing a few things, but they all seem to fit into one theme. And it's the idea that there's an awful lot there, you know, with the richness and the careful thought that went into the NGSS came a lot of new ways of thinking about science and new ways of thinking about education. And um, for, as I mentioned before, for some grade level teachers, new content. Um, so, for example, I'm working with a team that's a sixth grade set of teachers, and for the first time ever in their teaching experience, they're teaching new topics that used to belong to fourth or fifth grade. So um, th- it's a huge challenge because there's just so much, and people, I think, are having trouble figuring out how to seep themselves into the standards and really understand them. Um, another issue is that... Uh, along with too much, is that there's engineering now in the standards. Now, it's always kind of been there since the national standards were first devised, but this gets a lot more attention now. And I think people um, in some states especially or some districts, they just haven't had exposure to it, so they don't really know what to make of engineering either. And then I think also um, the phrasing of the standards is meant now to suggest what a child should be able to do with knowledge. And sometimes it might not seem very clear. It seems vague because it's not just saying, just tell me what the kid needs to know. It's saying, what do my students need to be able to do with this knowledge? And sometimes it may seem arbitrary or overly specific that a child should be able to make a visual representation of this idea. Like, why not talk about it instead, you know, so I think they're just trying to get used to this new language that focuses on performance and somebody had to choose 
rational performance criteria, but you know, it could sometimes be more than one performance. It's just that the standard has to express it in terms of one easily articulated idea. Okay. Wow. So another, now I'm going to take a little left turn here because when I was looking at your books that you've written and reading about you, um, I noticed that you're a fan of Leonardo da Vinci and you, you did a book, a step book, I guess, with him. So tell me a little bit about, just kind of fascinated about that. How does understanding his work, what does that have to do with STEM and STEAM? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, there's kind of two ways to look at this. And for me, Leonardo da Vinci became sort of my mentor into STEM and and ultimately STEAM. Um, Because up until learning about Leonardo da Vinci for a project that I was working on at the Museum of Science in Boston, I really didn't quite buy the idea that, say, the arts had much to do with science. And so people would say, oh, science and art are so connected. And I would just kind of say, mm-hmm, yeah, maybe there's botanical art. But when you really get to know Leonardo da Vinci and his notebooks and his work, there's really a good basis of evidence that he didn't necessarily break things down into the disciplines that we do. And really, it was more akin to the 21st century skills, although his was a different century. Um, he was really responding to the world around him with observation, curiosity, and creativity. And he used that observation, curiosity, and creativity sometimes to delve deeply into the craft of his art and sometimes to start responding to questions that would occur to him as he was perhaps drawing shells or uh, the human body. He would delve in and want to know more and keep notes to himself. And then also sometimes that observation and curiosity led him to create ideas for really fascinating inventions. So once I could see that um, the mindset of being open to this world and uh, recording what he saw, certainly, and being watchful of it could lead into all of these different experiences and accomplishments, I kind of became um, much more committed to um, integrating content areas because I, I think quintessentially Leonardo da Vinci was a child. He was very childlike. And so in the same way, we can help children enter into lots of rigorous content if we think in terms of their observation, curiosity, and creativity first. Oh, I love that. Now I'm going to extend on that a little bit because I read an article uh, that you co-wrote in a STEAM journal and it, and it was, um, it's entitled, What's Wrong with Interpretive Dance? <laughs> and so tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Well, um, first of all, uh, my co-author was Ruth Katchen, and she is an arts educator. And um, for about a year or two, we were sort of thought partners together on um, what STEAM could look like and should look like and might be like. And so um, one of her experiences in an online course that she took was that people were talking about STEAM and Um, Somebody in, I believe it was a physical science discipline, kind of ended up saying, well, you know, I guess art's okay, but as long as the kids aren't being asked to do interpretive dance on molecules. And when we heard that story, we all sort of chuckled. But then I got to thinking about that. And Ruth and I started to, you know, kind of dig in and we said, what is wrong with that? I mean, exactly. Sometimes it might take interpretive dance for children to have access to an idea. And when we started to think deeply about STEAM integration, 
we realized that the, and this is not new, but we wanted to sort of defend this idea that asking students to create something that is a translation of information in one realm with a technique in another realm is vital. You know, it's when you translate something, you have to kind of deeply understand both languages. And so uh, we, you know, we ask that question sort of rhetorically and we come back with saying, actually, there's nothing wrong with it. There's a lot right about interpretive dance um, to describe how molecules work or vice versa. If somebody's doing a dance, can you translate it into mathematical pattern notation? Um, so that is kind of the gist of the article that Ruth and I wrote together. And she also added a, a lot of um, sort of additional thinking about how to structure some lessons. So oh, I love that, but I'm not doing any interpretive dance. I'm just telling you, I don't mean to be a negative Nelly, but that's the class I dropped <laughs> in college. The one class I dropped. Uh, so share with us a little bit about now, you know, you're a writer, obviously, and you do a, this beautiful job of weaving steam with uh, concepts with literature, uh, the books you've written. And then you also do it with some other books like Rosie Revere, engineer, and those kind of books. What are those look, what are those learning experiences sort of briefly? What are those look like? Well, they're, they're varied, right? So, um, what, what they look like is sort of a reflection of the themes or opportunities that present themselves in each book. So for Rosie Revere engineer, for example, it's a story about a girl who tries, 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 and often fails. And finally, you know, learns the lesson that trying is success. Um, and that failure is giving up. So, um, She's in that way, she's an engineer, but the project that she works on is a copter. And so taking my cue from a really well-known classic um, activity in a lot of hands-on science activity books, um, there's something called a bunny copter, and we changed that to a rosy copter. And then we added, or I added in some engineering by asking the students to be able to control how that... Um, bunny copter, which is just, it's a spinning, specially folded piece of paper. If you can imagine a maple seed pod sort of spinning down, um, they have a chance to change the materials and, and length of the blade and uh, begin to engineer it so that it will bring Rosie down more safely than she lands in the book. So that's an example of taking a story that's fictional and using that as a context for an engineering project. Some of the other books involve uh, trying to look at the world through the eyes of different scientist types that are presented in some of the books. That's amazing. And uh, guys, before I forget, Carolyn has been so gracious on My Ed Expert. I think you have five or six of these uh, wonderful books that you have already crafted some things for teachers. And guys, these are just open downloads. You can grab that are wonderful things that Carolyn's done. Before I forget, Carolyn, what's the best way for people to reach you? What's your website? Well, I have two because I have these two identities, the STEM education, STEM STEAM education consultant, and that is uh, HTTP colon slash slash BH for Blue Heron, STEM Ed. So B-H-S-T-E-M-E-D dot U-S. And if people go there, they can find a link to my author website um, and they can also contact me through the contact button on BH STEM Ed. And another way to find me is to uh, 
put my name in the URL, but people have trouble spelling it. So it's carolindecristofano.com. And uh, there's a contact form there as well. And guys, if you're driving, we do not want you to do this while you're driving. So you can always remember to go to Myad Expert, type Carolyn's name in. She's actually on the homepage right now, and you can find her there. She's got the most wonderful things, and she's got links to her site and links to contacts and all that. So you can find her. We've, we've named like three ways you can find Carolyn now. Okay. <laughs> so what I was reading about some of your work, and I just had to ask about this, uh, because I remember taking some students on a field trip up to where you, close to where you are, are situated, and we went to see some some cranberries being grown. So then I saw that you had done a cranberry growers project. Can you just tell us a little about that? Because that just sounds fascinating. Okay. Well, I may not be able to tell you a little okay. about it. Um, <laughs> I've been known to trap people in corners at parties to <laughs> tell, tell them about it. But um, this was an outreach resource from the Cape Cod Cranberry Growers Association. So they want to help the local community better understand what they're doing out there. And um, we, we saw it as more of an opportunity, more than just an outreach opportunity about what the farmers are doing, but really an opportunity for teachers to use a local, regional context for a lot of problem solving and content. So uh, Blue Heron sat down with the Cape Cod Cranberry Growers Association, and we have some sort of three parts, and we have all, you know, about the bogs, and so we kind of introduce some of the history and some some of what's going on there and, and how cranberry grows, but we quickly move on to a set of challenges. So children can adopt a bog, and they have to make decisions based on information uh, to try to decide which site they want to purchase as a cranberry bog, and we have kind of a red herring in there and they get positive feedback, but they're doing research into this, this site to see, does it have enough sand? Does it have enough water over time? And we look at climate versus weather and that, and then they actually go on and simulate three tasks that cranberry bog uh, growers actually get engaged in. And one of them is uh, my favorite. It's timing um, when the bees are going to be rented to come onto the bog in order to, um, to uh, pollinate the cranberries because it turns out that, you know, cranberries exist in this huge ecosystem. And if you get the timing wrong, you're going to be hiring bees or renting bees that are going to go and pollinate the weeds that you spend so much time trying to get rid of. And I just think it's a great opportunity. Um, and it made me think about how you don't really think of farmers as necessarily being STEM people. You know, when you look at who's who's in STEM fields, you're not necessarily going to see that. But it really shows that agriculture um, is related and really that STEM is part of our world anywhere you look. So it's really satisfying to bring that to the local local area. Well, that is just incredibly cool. And uh, thinking about just STEM, STEAM learning experiences kind of segue into that. If I had to just, if you just had to get three adjectives that you believe describe this captivating STEM learning experience, kind of like that ball going, what would you say? Well, I think they're challenging in an exciting way. So that's two adjectives. Okay. So it's challenge. Um, they're challenging. Um, but I don't mean that in a, in a negative, but just sort of they're, they're going to meet you where you're at and you're going to be able to sort of scratch your head and do some really interesting problem solving. They're exciting in that usually when you're engaged in a STEAM project, um, you're being asked to create something 
new or explore something new and envision something new. And that, that in, innovation kind of brings that sense of excitement. And they're sort of really accessible. Um, when we try to work with the physical world in a creative way, there are always ways that we can enter into that. And so those are three of the, the strengths or three of the adjectives that I, I think of when I think of STEM and STEAM. Put on and I concur. Now, some next steps for teachers. We're driving into work today. We're listening to the podcast on a Sunday afternoon. We're heading into work. What are a couple of things leaders and teachers, uh, what can we do to better support our STEM STEAM programs? Well, I think one thing is to remember that you don't have to do it all all at once. Um, and in fact, it probably makes sense to adopt an engineering mindset to your curriculum. And with engineering, one of the key take home messages about engineering is that it's an iterative process. That is, you try something and you kind of anticipate that it's not going to be perfect. And in fact, many times it may sort of collapse on you, but that the key is to take that moment and analyze what's going on and expect and embrace this opportunity to improve. So it's never something that you just do and then you kind of wipe your hands and say, we're done, or you check off a box. So it's that's one thing. And starting small helps. The other thing that I like to help people with is to really help them or get them to focus on what does it mean to do science? What does it mean to use technology? What does it mean to engineer and to do math and to create art? So it's the verb aspect of those fields. And I think when you start to really look at how science and art might intersect in the real world, then you have the basis for thinking about um, projects that will have a parallel only within the classroom in a, in a smaller bite so the kids don't have to go out and create public sculpture that's $5 million to create. But they're kind of learning about the intersections of those fields by doing something similar. Very, very sage advice. I've, I've taken quite a few notes here, and I'm going to sort of mention some of my takeaways that I have. And then what I'd like for you to do is maybe add a one or two or tell me if you agree with these. One of the things that I really learned a lot about today is the cross-cutting content. Because we started our podcast, I really didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. But now I understand that ideas that just keep coming up to follow the energy. I love what you said about following this engineering process to try something. It's not going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it starts small that this isn't going to maybe happen in one day. And I love hearing that. Uh, the, the adults in the building are asking for maybe some broader set of science learning that they need because we're all having to teach some new things now. We're, we're not expected to know all of that. I love this aspect of using literature, um, and, and what you're doing with, with the books that you're writing and with other authors. Tell me a couple of things you'd like to add to those takeaways. Well, I, I hope that people will kind of allow themselves to be inspired by Leonardo um, and really focus a lot on this idea of observation, curiosity, and creativity. I think that that's one of the most important gifts we can give to students is their um, sort of nurturing and conscious use of those things that come very naturally to all of us as their um, entryway into learning. Um and that's, the other things that you mentioned, I absolutely agree with. And I think that, that that's a, quite a list. 
Well, good. And so I'm going to thank everybody. Carolyn and I, we don't want to end this podcast without thanking every educator out there for creating possibilities for your students every day. And as Carolyn said, for nurturing their curiosity every day. We want to thank you so much for listening. And mostly we want to thank Carolyn. Thank you for being here, Carolyn. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it, Susie. We just so enjoyed learning from you today and wish you all the best in your work. I know you're heading to Texas to go to a conference there. So uh, so thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank you. And uh, good luck to everybody out there. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our authors' work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.